to give you a good report. My wife arrived safely in Rwanda, and she is worshiping there and having a good time. Amen. And I want to thank those of you who were able to come out Thursday uh, to the unveiling and dedication of the markers on the square in Franklin. Thank you for coming out and being a part of history on that day. Uh, as I said uh, in my comments, that uh, Pulaski, Tennessee is known for being the birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan. And Bedford County, Tennessee is known for being the birthplace of Nathan Bedford Forrest. And then we also know that Nashville, Tennessee is known for being the birthplace of the United Daughters of the Confederacy. But now Franklin, Tennessee is known for being the birthplace of the Fuller story. Amen. Amen. And I was able to pull back the veil on the marker depicting the market house, which stands right in the center next to the Confederate monument. And that market house is where um, blacks, Af the, uh, Africans were sold uh, on the center right there in the city of Franklin. Um, they, they were auctioned right there. And that was a part of history that I did not learn. I, I've been living in Franklin for 25 years, and I just learned that two years ago as we began this pilgrimage towards telling a fuller story. And so there's redemption. Uh, we see God doing great things. And so I uh, thank you for those of you who took off work to come out. Uh, I, I believe Felicia uh, Mason Xerox copied some of the programs that we had. So those of you who are into keepsakes and things like that, we have some of those. And I, she'll probably lay them out here if you want one of those. All right, all right. Acts chapter 7. And then uh, when I finish, our friends will come back up and close us out with two more selections. So let's pray. Father, we come now to the word of God. And we ask for your help that you would help me to teach it. Help me, Holy Spirit, to depend on you. Thank you that we were able to study together this week. And your word tells us that the preparation of the heart belongs to me, but the answer of the tongue comes from you. So Lord, say what you want to say today, uh, whether it's in my notes or not, have your way. And as you help me, would you help each person seated here today to hear the things from you that they need to hear. Lord, we're talking about getting our houses in order. We believe this is something that pleases you. So help us, Lord, to be obedient to what your spirit says. Thank you in advance for what you're going to teach all of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When the Bible repeats itself, that means it's something very important something that we need to stop, pause, heed, and take in. So when you see either the Lord repeating himself or there are stories that are being repeated in the Bible, it's imperative upon the hearer or the reader to stop, pause, and to get a hold of the message. Because just like when our parents repeat themselves or a teacher repeats himself or herself, God is repeating himself. And two times in the Old Testament, we see the story 
where King Hezekiah was about to die. We find it in 2 Kings, and we also find the story in the prophet Isaiah's book. And in those stories, Hezekiah is about to die, and the prophet Isaiah comes to him and says to get your house in order, for you are about to die. In other words, manage your affairs because you're about to leave this place. And so as we look at those, that story repeated twice in Scripture, we've taken it upon ourselves here at Strong Tower to look into what does that mean to set your house in order, to get your house in order. Because if God is repeating himself, then may his words not fall on deaf ears. To get your house in order means to arrange your spiritual, relational, financial, and material affairs in such a way before you die that it benefits your loved ones after you die. So get your house in order. And last week, we talked about take care of my family. How when Jesus was on the cross, breathing his last breaths, he had the wherewithal to care about his mother, who at that time more than likely was a widow. And so Jesus, from the cross in John chapter 19, says to John the apostle to take care of his mother, and he says to his mother that John would now be her son. And the Bible says from that time, Mary went to live in the home of John the apostle. So on the cross, Jesus was taking care of his family. And by voicing his will or his pleasure, he was speaking forth what we learned last week was an oral will. His intentions of what he wanted to see happen once he had died and gone on. He wanted his mother to be taken care of. And we said last week that a will, in general, is a document that allows a testator, and a testator is the person who makes the will, to designate to whom his or her property and assets will pass after death. That's part of getting your house in order to make sure that your house is sustained when you're gone from it, that it's passed on in a way that is pleasing and proper and right. So last week, we talked about take care of my family. Next week, if the Lord allows and we're able to meet, we'll title the message, Take Care of My Funeral. So we'll talk about a funeral next week. And then we'll follow it up with take care of my burial. We'll follow it up with take care of my things and take care of my people. Now, again, this is not the most exciting stuff to come to church to hear. Uh, but this is part of what the Bible calls the whole counsel of God. The Bible speaks to everything. And so God gives us wisdom and insight even with dealing with how to take care of our funerals and our burials and all of those things. The Bible addresses those things. So as a teacher and preacher of the Bible, then I must teach these things so that we can grow and be the kind of people that God wants us to be. But today, let me focus on the subject of take care of my body. Take care of my body. Last week, take care of my family. Today, take care of my body. Next week, take care of my funeral. Have you ever thought about 
who will take care of your body after you die. Have you ever thought of who will take care of your body and who will prepare it for its viewing and even dress it for the burial? A funeral home will transport your body once you have died from either a morgue, a hospital, or a residence. Oh yes, oh yes, a funeral home is going to come for your body, whether you have passed somewhere and you were taken to a morgue and someone has to come and identify your body and the funeral home comes to the morgue or the funeral home comes to the hospital or the morticians come to your house or another residence, um, they will come for you. But the good news is you have an opportunity now to select who you want to take care of your body. Because if you don't do it, your family's going to have to do it. So one of the things we're encouraging through this series is to do as much as we can on the front end so that our families can grieve well on the back end. But the family has to make a whole bunch of decisions, things that could have been taken care of while we were living. Uh, we want to avoid that kind of stress being pushed on them because we want to be the kind of people who are thoughtful and mindful and considerate. And we want to make sure that we are leaving our family in a good condition as we leave their presence to go on and be with the Lord. So who's going to take care of your body? I know we don't think about that all the time, but the Bible addresses this subject about people taking care of the bodies of the deceased. I've had the humble privilege of being called to homes when a loved one passes away. I've had that privilege as a pastor where I, I walk into a home, I get the call that someone has passed, and I go to the home and the person is still uh, lying in state. And I comfort the family as best as I can, mainly with my presence, not so much with my words, but with presence. And I'll wait there until the undertakers come to take the body away. And, um, and sometimes I've been asked to assist picking up the body, putting it on the gurney, and assisting getting it into the vehicle. And it's just an honor. It, and it's something when I grew up, if someone said, you're going to be there with people when they pass, I would have said, no, that's not what I want to do. Because funerals and death, it was a morbid thing for me growing up. But as I have come to Jesus and I've grown in Christ, I've come to realize that death has lost its sting. The grave has no victory. That the body is merely a tent that holds the soul. And uh, the Bible even talks about how the tent gets old in 2 Corinthians. And, and it starts, uh, uh, the, the church is talking about how it starts leaning and things like that. You know, and, and it's time to go from this earthly tent to a heavenly tent that does not fade, that does not age, that does not get sick, that does not get weary. So it's a good thing when a believer transitions from this life to the next life. And one of the ladies that's here giving me some help with a lot of amens is who I told you about last week, Sister Casilda Harrison, who just laid her mom to rest. And when I asked her, did your mom have her affairs in order? You should have seen the Kool-Aid smile that came across her face when she said, yes, my mom had her affairs in order. 
And that's what we want to do. We want to have our affairs in order. And that's why I'm here to help you and help myself through this series of setting and getting your house in order. Because taking care of the deceased, listen to this, it's a delicate and noble activity. And some people are called to that. For some people, it's not just a business. But for some people, it is a calling to take care of the deceased when someone passes away. And I want to give you just a couple of biblical examples today, um, just so that you know I'm just not making stuff up. But the Bible talks about this, again, on repeat. And when it repeats something, then we need to listen and get the message. Let's start first in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is preaching to the Jews, his people. And he gives them a history lesson. Most Jewish people knew their history, but most Jewish people could not connect their history to Jesus, the Messiah. So he comes and he connects the history of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the kings and the prophets, and he leads them all the way to Jesus Christ, being the Messiah, being the deliverer, being the one that everyone must put their hope and trust in. But as he began to speak, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. Now, again, repeat. We see this term in Acts 2 when Peter was preaching to his people. And the Bible says when he preached about Jesus, they were cut to the heart. And the Bible says they then asked, what must we do? And Peter said, repent, all of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so 3,000 people were added to the church that day. They were cut to the heart, and they repented. But in Acts 7, same message, different field, uh, different soil. This time when the audience got cut to the heart, rather than repenting, they rebelled. And that's how you know you're preaching the truth. Because you won't have everybody accept it, and you won't have everybody reject it. Some people are going to be with you. Some people are going to be against you. If everybody is with you, the preacher's doing something wrong. And if everybody's against you, the preacher's doing something wrong. But I just need to preach the word and let God do the saving. I just need to preach the word. You just need to preach the word on the job and let God do the touching of the heart. And to some people on your job, you are the aroma of life. But for other folk, you are the aroma of death. They can't stand to see you coming around there. You Christian, you saved, you sanctified, who you think you are. <laughs> so in Acts 7, he preaches. And the Bible says they gnash on him and they stone him. And before they stone him, they take their clothes off and give them to Paul. Paul is an unbeliever at that time. He's consenting to the death of Stephen. And the Bible says in Acts 7, verse 59, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is a euphemism or a term for death in the Bible. He fell asleep. Acts chapter 8, verse 2. The Bible says, and devout men 
carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation for him. Again, we can read right over that verse, but somebody had to go and retrieve that bludgeoned body of this great man of God who had been martyred for the kingdom of God. And the thing about the book of Acts is killing Christians did not stop the church. Matter of fact, the blood of the martyrs became the fuel for church growth. So the more you killed the Christians, the more the church grew. Because unbelievers were saying, wow, he loved this God enough to die for him. It must be real. Let me check into it. And so somebody had to come and grab this man's body. And look how they're described. They're described as devout men. Devout means to be devoted, to be committed, even holy. So when someone is devout, you're committed, you are devoted, you're holy. So godly, holy, committed men came and grabbed the body. Why? Because if folk are killing Christians, they might kill the people that's coming to retrieve the body because that spirit of hatred can keep on going. So to go get the body, it's almost like you're putting your own self at risk. But when you love somebody, when you care for somebody, when you want to take care of the body, because that's the right thing to do. Why? Because that man was made in the image of God, and that body is precious to God. So they go, devout men. Oh, now you got to go back to the Old Testament now. 1 Samuel chapter 31. 1 Samuel chapter 31. This speaks of Saul and his sons. I begin at verse 6, 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 6. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And if we go down to verse 8, it says, So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa, and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Why? Because they are not only making a mockery of King Saul, that they just defeated the king of Israel, but they're making a mockery of his God as well. Yahweh, Yeshua, they're making a mockery of God. So these crazy men are just celebrating this death in a bloodthirsty way. They cut off his head, fasten their bodies to a wall. Verse 11, you got to see this. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So the Bible records these things for us, not just to keep reading to get to the next thing. This is the next thing. Don't miss this. Don't skip this. Even though Saul was a wicked and ungodly king, again, he was still made in the image of God. He was still a child.
child of God, though he had gone wayward, and he still deserved a proper burial. So we saw that the men who went and got Stephen's body were devout men. The men who came and got Saul's body and his son's body, they were called valiant men. To be valiant means to be brave, to be determined, to be courageous. Why? Because they got to go into enemy territory and get this trophy that the Philistines were using to say that they had defeated Israel and their God. They had to go in. They traveled all night. They went in there. That was brave to take the body of their comrade and to give him a proper burial. Now, now, now what's the deal with Jabesh Gilead? Uh, uh, why did they go get the body? Well, if we were to go back to chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, we would see why. Because when, Samuel became, when, when Saul became king, he was the first king of Israel. So when he became king, one of the very first things he did to secure his kingship was to rescue the people of Jabesh Gilead from the Ammonites. You see, the Ammonites had given a threat to the people in Jabesh Gilead that they were going to wipe them out, that they were going to kill them. So the people of Jabesh Gilead sent a word throughout all of Israel asking for help. And people were crying, thinking about their countrymen are about to be slaughtered by the Ammonites, but nobody was stepping up. So Saul heard about it and said, hey, we're going to go and support them and help them and rout the enemy. So he got, uh, I forget how many people the Bible says, about 100,000 people, divided them into three companies went and supported the people of Jabesh Gilead against the Ammonites, routed the enemy, and protected the people of Jabesh Gilead. And the Bible says after that, that's when they crowned Saul king of all Israel. So this was Saul's coming out party to validate him as the leader of the people, just like David was validated when he slew Goliath in the Valley of Elah. So, so Saul had his moment where people looked at him and said, that's the man right there. Because he led the people. He protected the people of Jabesh Gilead. Well, guess what? The people he helped out many, many years ago never forgot what he did. So that after he had died and his body has been decapitated and put on a fence, they said, the way he helped us then, we got to help him now. So I just want to give you a nugget here. The people you help in life may end up being the ones who help you in death. Uh, went right over your head. The ones you help in life are probably going to be the ones showing up at the house. Not just saying, hey, we with you, we praying for you. No, they showing up at the house. They're going to be hands and feet. They're going to love on you. Why? Because you loved on them, and they're going to return the love. And so the J people of Jabesh Gilead, these valiant men, went to help. We'll go to Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14. Another body was taken care of that the Bible tells us about, and this is the body of John the Baptist, a fiery preacher who preached the truth, telling Herod that it was not right or lawful for him to have his brother Philip's wife. You're committing adultery. You're wrong. All these other preachers may go around here not saying anything about it because they're on the payroll, but I'm not on your payroll. I work for God, and I'm not afraid to call you out just like I called out the brood of vipers out at the Jordan River. I preach outside, I preach inside. I preach to the people, I preach to the king. Don't matter who it is, the truth is for whoever needs to hear it. 
Thank God for John the Baptist kind of preachers. So he gets locked up for preaching the truth. Now, the woman that Herod is fooling with, Herodias, she got a problem with the fact that he called her out. So Herodias had her daughter do a lap dance for Herod. Bible says it. He got excited and said, uh, girl, what you want? I'll give you all my kingdom, up to half my kingdom, what you want? Mama instructed her and said, uh, we want the head of John the Baptist. So now he's in a political quandary because he believes John is a prophet that he ain't listening to. It's amazing. You know, Pastor Chris, my pastor. Do you listen to the words he's saying to you? No, he's my pastor, though. <laughs> John is a prophet. Are you listening, Harry? No, but he's a prophet. So I fear the people. But because my reputation is on the line and I got all these dinner guests, I got to keep my word. So the Bible says they went and beheaded John in the dungeon and brought his head to Herodias on a silver platter. Have you ever wondered why God allows many of his chief servants to die violent and horrific deaths? Why does God allow that? I don't know. But the minute some of us start thinking that God's not fair, we need to take a look at Calvary and see what he allowed to happen to his son. If we, before we start saying, why did he let my cousin get hit by a car? Why did he let this happen? Why did, why did he let his son get butchered on Calvary? So when you start complaining about what God has been, not been doing in your life, take a look at Calvary. And here's another thing. For those who are not complaining but grieving and mourning, Looking at Calvary allows us to say, man, God knows what I feel right now. So we live in a fallen world where bad things can happen. Once again, God must know something about the next life. That the sufferings we go through here can't even be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. He knows something about the next life. And so John has his head cut off. And what I want you to see is verse 12. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Because if the disciples didn't come get the body, what do you think Herod's people would have done with that body? They'd already disrespected his body. But somebody said, I got to go care for the body. And even though this is our leader, because these are disciples of John, you got to listen to this. Our leader has been killed. And not only has he been killed, he's been decapitated. And not only has he been decapitated, the head is not with the body. And the body is still in a dungeon, and it's dark, and it's gloomy. It's in enemy territory. It is evil in this place. But because we love our leader so much, we're going to go in and get his headless body out of that jail. Give him a proper burial and go tell Jesus. You see, we all got to have friends like this. When you don't have nothing to offer because life has literally cut your head off. You usually got something to give, but sometimes as leaders, as Christians, we don't have nothing. We're done. We're empty. You got to have friends that will come and minister to you even when you can no longer minister to them. And in this case, John could not minister. But once again, people were being kind to him at death because he had been kind to them in life. 
Again, it's not just the people that show up at the funeral. It's the people that show up in the home. They came and grabbed his body, gave his body a proper burial. And lastly, there are many others in the scripture, but most importantly, John chapter 19. As I close with John chapter 19, the retrieval of the body of Jesus Christ. John chapter 19. Now, we talked about repetition, repetition. When the Bible repeats itself, pay attention. In each of the four gospel accounts, this story is spoken of, and this man's name is mentioned who comes to get the body of Jesus off the cross. And his name is Joseph of Arimathea. Each of the gospels speak of him. Oh boy, you got to see this. Verse 38 of John 19. The Bible says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus. Who went to get John's body? Disciples. Who's coming to get Jesus' body? A disciple. He's a disciple, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Stop and pause. He's part of that political system called the Sanhedrin. And these people hated Jesus. These people put obstacles in the way of Jesus. These people twisted the words of Jesus. These people were part of the people who put Jesus to death in those unfair trials. Joseph was a part of that group. And he had been listening and he had been watching. And the Bible says he had become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Because John tells us in his writings that when someone became a follower of Jesus, they would throw you out of the synagogue. They would throw you out of the Sanhedrin. You lose your business context, contacts and all of that. And so Joseph was a secret Christian. He didn't want to let anybody know. So to the CIA Christians up in here, to, 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 to the believers who are undercover in here, I got to let you know, you, you can't stay undercover for long. At some point, you got to come out of the shadow. You, at some point, you got to come out of the closet. At some point, you got to make your faith known. And he said right here, look, this is it. I'm tired of being a secret Christian. And he says, I'm going to go and ask Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Wait a minute, you're going to go to Pilate, the governor? Yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid no more. What are your friends going to say? It don't matter. I'm not afraid anymore. If that man could go up on that cross and die for me like that, I can live for him. Oh, yeah, I'm, I don't care what they think or say anymore. Don't you know if you go up there, they might take you and kill you next? It don't matter. So he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Who's going to take your body away? And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus Verse 39, and Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night. In other words, now we got another dude coming out of the darkness now. Another disciple. He, he saw one guy do it. He said, man, if he's doing it, I can do it too. That's why it's powerful going out two by two. That's why you got to have friends and community and connection. Because when one is weak, the other is strong. Come on now. So he sees his buddy stepping out. I'm stepping out too. I came to Jesus in John chapter 3. I tried to stand up for him in John chapter 9. They shouted me down. But I don't care what they say. I'm coming out into the light. Donna Ross says I'm coming out. If she can come out, I'm coming out too. 
The Bible says they came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. That's a delicate thing. It's even a brave thing, a valiant thing. It's things that disciples do to go and take care of the body. So as we begin to set our homes, our houses in order, we need to begin to think about who's going to take care of our body. Which funeral home do I want my family to work with? And when I finish preaching this series, you're going to get this book here. You're going to have to sign for it. Okay, I, I, I need a list. Who gets it? You want the sign for it? Because in there it talks about your funeral, your will, uh, your burial, all of this stuff, your, your, your financial records, all of that stuff. It's in here. But it's also when you get it, you're going to get a stamp address envelope back to the church. Because as you fill out your obituary and things like that in here, you're going to fill that out and send it back to the church. So that we can have a record so that your, and your family has this at home. But we have one too. So that we don't have to go hunting and, and asking questions. We, we can be in the moment and grieve. And I don't have to be like a reporter or a detective walking into the home and asking questions. Well, can you? you no, no, no. We're going to get things in order here. And, 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 and if I see that you signed for it, but I don't get your letter, that's called accountability. <laughs> uh, let me have my friends come from Tokyo to come back and bless us with two songs. Can we receive them now as they come back? Amen. Did you get something out of the word today? Huh? Bible talks about everything. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. back up I wanted to just show you all the love that we're giving to our friends um, from Tokyo we had a bag made thank you lasagna for having these made we just wanted to show them some strong tower love so when they go back to Japan they'll have a bag with our church name on it and just some snacks and some things just to let them know that we love them and that they had an encounter with the Church of Jesus Christ here in Nashville Tennessee and so each of them will get a bag um, with some goodies in it just from you all. So thank you again for your love and support. Before they sing, I just want to just pray over them. Thank you all so much. We thank God for the work of the kingdom that you're doing in Japan. Um, we thank you that you're a part of the beloved, that you're a part of the church of the living God. Um, the church transcends any kind of music or any kind of musical style. Doesn't matter. All we care is that you're lifting 
gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ in song in Japan. We bless you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, we pray your, his richest blessings on you while you're here, that you will have safe travel, that God will meet all of your needs. Um, you hopefully know that you have a place here in the United States, in Nashville, Tennessee, that loves you, will be praying for you, and we'll just pray God's power, God's strength, that you be encouraged, that, again, he allow you to be courageous and go out on the battlefield in Japan and uplift the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We love you. You have our blessings. You pray for us, we'll pray for you. We need you. We need you not to survive. We need you to thrive and prosper in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Take us on. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, everybody here. We love you. We love you. Please, next song, let us sing my dad knew. Say louder. Bye. 
love you. God bless you. Thank you. Come on, said, I cannot tell it, don't look God did. God did it. God damn it. God do it. We love you.
you. Thank you. God bless you. I thought they were going to go back in because y'all know how we do. Y'all want them to go back one more time? Well, you may not be able to tell it all, but you can tell something. So I pray that today you will tell somebody about how good God has been in your life. You could tell somebody at least one thing that God has done and is doing in your life. My God, thank you, Lord, for your diverse kingdom. Thank you that we got to taste today and see that the Lord is good. So let's receive the benediction. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is at work within us. To Jesus be glory in the church, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, and all of God's people said,